This is the Italian American podcast, the first podcast dedicated to helping Italian Americans learn about their heritage. We do that by speaking to Italian Americans in all different age ranges, professions, and locations. I'm your host, Anthony Fasano, and I have with me my co-host, Dolores Toronto. (laughs) (laughs) We're laughing because, you know, that's not a name that you're used to hearing, of course. No. Same last, different name. Right, right. And uh, in this episode, we're actually going to talk about something new. and We're going to share something new with you, a new kind of episode that we're going to start doing. And I think you're going to be pretty excited about it. So Dolores Toronto, how are you? <laughs> I have to say before we go any further that my husband's going to love you because uh, it's taken me a while to get into the swing of having, you know, a different last name. And, and he's kind of like me, you know, traditional and old fashioned. So he's like, when are you going to change your name? But you know, it's hard all these years being called Alfieri, you know, it's not like a quick switch. I'm really excited about this episode. We are introducing a totally new aspect of the show and of the organization in general, the Italian American experience organization in general. I think that our listeners are going to be really excited yeah, me too. I think this is something different. It's something that, you know, we've been doing the podcast for a long time now and we've gotten a lot of great feedback and we appreciate all the support and, you know, tons of emails and messages, which is great. Definitely helps to keep us going and quite a few iTunes reviews actually. But we also want to keep it fresh and keep different kinds of content coming in and keep getting different perspectives from people. And, you know, we've looked at some of our past episodes and some of the most popular episodes. And in doing that, it's obvious to us on certain kind of topics and certain guests and certain people that you like to hear from. And so that's kind of the direction that we're going to be heading here. And Anthony, I just wanted to mention that we'll read a couple of those new iTunes reviews at the end of the show. So thanks again for me as well. Yeah. So basically what we're introducing today is that Anthony and I are going to back off the mic about once a month or so, right, Amp? Yep. And we're going to introduce a new show. So a new aspect of the Italian American podcast and it's going to be called the Italian American Power Hour which is a name that I love. Yeah, it is. So this show is as you're going to hear following this introduction, you're going to hear me sit down with John Viola, former president of the National Italian American Foundation and Pat O'Boyle who you've also heard on the show. Um, Anthony, what episodes have they been in? What numbers? People want to look back. Yeah, they were in a very popular series of episodes that we did on on the history of Southern Italy that were episodes 45, 46, and 48. And I know they were popular because we got tons of emails from all of you about them. So, you know, John and Pat, and was also Pat's brother, Anthony, were the three that did those episodes with us. Exactly. So, you know, we've, we've talked with John and Pat many times in the show, but we've also talked about both of them. And we've also talked about a lot of the friends that we've made as we've done this show over the past two and a half years. What we really want to do and wanted to do with this show is expand and grow the Italian American community across state lines and borders and and everything like that. And we really are very proud of how we have done that, not just with listeners of the show, but also through different initiatives like the new neighborhood, of course. And this show, the Italian American Power Hour, is really just another way of expanding the community. Yeah, absolutely. It's going to be something different. I think you're all going to love it. And just so you know, I mean, both of these people I've been very involved in the Italian American community, which you already know if you've listened to our show. Of course, John Viola has, was the president of the National Italian American Foundation for about six years. Pat's also been very involved in the community. In fact, I just want to mention, because I know he he sent it to Dolores and I, that he is putting on a feast. He puts on a feast every year, which this year is going to be May 20th in Clifton, New Jersey, uh, at the Holy Face Monastery. I think the mass starts at 1130. And we'll put some information on our website. But the bottom line is that these guys are both really entrenched in the community and they have the same desires as Dolores and I to really help to continue to pass our traditions down. That's why they're so uh, passionate about wanting to do this. And unfortunately, 
I was not here for the interview that you're about to hear. I was actually at my kid's school co-chairing their international day, which, by the way, we had a, a dynamite turnout for Italy. So I was happy nice. about that. Nice, yeah. Yeah, we keep, we, keep, we keep getting more parents involved, and which means we have a lot more food for the Italian table, of course. <laughs> which makes everyone happy, I'm sure. Yeah, it is, and and it, and it went very well this year. And actually, the um, the theme that we picked this year was folklore and fairy tales, and each child in the school had to talk to their parents about some of the fairy tales that came from their like country of origin. And we did La Bafana for the Italian table, but it was just a great exercise in general just to get the kids talking to their parents about this stuff. So, yeah. So while we missed you there, Anthony, uh, listeners, you will hear again that Pat and John have drunk the same Kool-Aid that <laughs> Anthony and I and all of you have very passionate about their heritage to like a geeky level. So and the conversation is a lot of fun. And I just want to say, as we talk about in the next seg segment, before we do that, this new show, The Italian American Power Hour, is going to be a little different from the setup that Anthony and I have, you know, where it's usually kind of structured. We have a guest come on. We have done many shows where we've just sat around the kitchen table with our families and talked to them. You know, some of our most popular episodes have been ones where we were baking cookies for Christmas with, with my mother and my aunts or the uh, more recent show I did with all of my aunts and my mother where we talked about dreams and signs and kind of that, uh, you know, the evil eye, that vein of our culture. And we know that you guys love those shows. Uh, because you write us and you tell us that you do. So John and Pat are going to do a format that's more like that. They're just going to kind of sit and talk about Italian-American related issues or any issue really as it kind of looks through the Italian-American lens. They're going to have people stop by. I'm going to jump in every now and then and surprise them. And it's just going to be a kind of casual or around the table, a tavola, you know, conversation between passionate Italian-Americans. That's right. And we hope you like it. We want to hear your feedback. You can always email us. You can always respond to our emails with our podcast episodes. We'd love to hear feedback. We'd love to hear topics that you want us to talk about or guests that you want to hear. Keep those coming because we do look at all of them. We don't always get to respond to all of them, but we do look at every single one of them. So what do you think, Dolores? Should we, should we let it rip here, the first Italian-American power hour? I love it. Let's do it. All right. Here it is. I'm very excited to be here on site in New York City to introduce to all of our Italian American podcast listeners the hosts of our newest show, our newest endeavor, the Italian American Power Hour. Here are your new hosts, John Biola and Pat O'Boyle. <laughs> happy to be around and happy to talk to everybody. Thank you. I want to challenge any macaroni producer out there to send us a case of your favorite macaroni for a giveaway. Ooh, that's Barilla, a great idea. who's ever out there, DeChaco. Ronzoni. Uh, Ronzoni. If you, want, if you want, I want a box, I want a case of your OZD-type pasta, macaroni. Pasta is a new word, but, you know, we'll keep you happy. Send it over to us. No, send two. No, send five. <laughs> one for each of us and for one, one of us to give away. Pat's Macaroni Challenge. Yep, the I Macaroni like Challenge. Oh. We want a Macaroni Challenge. And if you don't send it to us, we're going to talk bad about your product. Okay? <laughs> I got it. It fell apart. The worst thing I could do to your business is to say that we had company, and when we threw the macaroni in, it all came apart. We had to throw out and start from scratch. And the roast in the oven burned because of your macaroni. So if you don't want to go down that road, I really strongly suggest that you send in six cases, six cases. And we want the big cases, not a six-pack. A six-pack is a six-pack. is not a case. I want a 12 or 24-pack of your top macaroni and send it care of Dolores. Send it care of Dolores. Don't send extra because she might model some and take the extra <laughs> ones. I swear to God, there was only six cases for the macaroni challenge. We've done that. Can I go home? Tell the audience, I think, a little bit about how we met, how all of us got together, and where this came from in terms of the shows in the South, maybe. Right. 
I met you first, John, because John was the president of NIAF at the time, as our listeners know, and he had heard of the podcast and being the kind of forward-thinking young leader that you were and are, you reached out to us, asked to meet us, which was amazing, and you brought us into the NIAF family. NIAF was our first big supporters. You promoted our show, opened a lot of doors for us, introduced us to a lot of people, and that kind of small little chance meeting turned into, you know, an ensuing several years of friendship where we now consider one another brother and sister and family, and you're one of my closest friends. And through you, I've met Pat O'Boyle and many other people, and our community keeps growing in a very honest way. And that's how we've gotten to the point where we started doing the Southern Italian History Series with um, you and Pat and Anthony O'Boyle, all included, that our listeners know very well and love very much. So I'll throw your question back at you. How about you tell our listeners how you and Pat, the new hosts of the Italian American Power Hour, met? So Pat and I met about 10 years ago almost. Yeah, we got to to come. This is the best, this is one of my Pat knows one of my favorite conversations. So, so Pat and I met probably about ten years ago at an investiture dinner cocktail reception for the Sacred Military Constantine Order of St. George, which we're now both part of the leadership of the U.S. delegation of. So uh, I was there for my dad. Pat was there being knighted on his own, and somehow we sort of found each other in random conversations, just sort of standing there next to each other, started talking about our desire to save Catholic Church. And it ended up that we were both talking about the same Catholic Church where I was baptized in Williamsburg, Brooklyn, St. Cecilia's. And somehow from there, we just found a lot in common, must have exchanged phone numbers, and just started having these like three or four hour rambling conversations about everything. I'll tell you, I, 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 your father that night asked me to be on the board of the school in Brooklyn. He asked me to go to a board meeting that was the following week. And that's how I would talk to you is I would, I, I would start to see what the board... I never thought of that. Yeah, that's true. It's the board of the school that really... That was another very deep... That's, and, another, and, that's a podcast. Yeah, that's a podcast its onto its own, our experience on that board. But yeah, we were on the board together, and we became really incredibly close friends, like brothers. And Pat was Kambadi at my wedding. Vice Kambadi. Vice Kambadi with my brother Michael. <laughs> uh, and we spent, and still spend, a ton of time together and work throughout the community on this stuff. And Pat had been at NIAF for, what, 20 years? I've been active with NIAF. Active with NIAF, yeah. You never, I never worked. Employed never, or... No, but I was active since night, since the fall of 1997. So at that point, it was like 10 that years. That was a stunning, yeah. That was a stunning gala. That's a podcast all to its own. The 97 NIAF uh, gala? We should do that. Historic. I would bring people in for that. Also, another Absolutely. podcast can be you just playing Pat's Vice Kumbhade speech at your <laughs> oh, wedding. Oh, no, no. That <laughs> was a terrific speech. That was. That so. was probably one of the greatest. I, was, I used, I used to write speeches for people's weddings. <laughs> I did. Really? I was paid in wedding Sometimes favors. I've helped people, too. Not for I got wedding favors. Paid an extra, extra bonbonnera. Yeah. I said, the ones that were cracked and they couldn't put in the box. <laughs> <laughs> They're crazy good together. And defective Bumbanyana. I'm going to sell the back of a truck. Yeah, so we, we became friends. And I think the story I always tell is that the... the is anybody listening to us right now? Yes. Not, not this moment, but they will be. How do I know? Can they send like a special signal? Yeah, we can ask people. I think, I think there's only two people listening to me right now. Is that true? You tune in. Is there a lot of people actually? There's going to be a lot of people listening do to you this? Think, are you asking me if more than two people listen to the Italian-American podcast? Yes. yes. Thousands of people listen to the Italian American mm-hmm. podcast. They're not related to me, are they? They're not even related to That's me. Right. I don't even I think can, my I family. I can use the good stories. Better like that. <laughs> if I know you or you're related to me, please turn off now because I can't talk about you if you're listening. No, your family's like the worst. They're they are like the best. I don't know. They're like the last people who will listen to you. That's true. You have That's to know true. that That's already. That's You've been true. an Italian all your life. That's true. Pat and I met at this event and we started serving on this board together. And one of the first conversations we had that night defined for me why we do these kind of things actually it's part of that conversation why do we do this stuff why are healthy adult men with other careers focusing so much of their time on this community and we started talking about what made us different i don't know who introduced the topic first but we started talking about the various uses for polyoricotta containers because when i was a kid 
I lived in basically a tenement house in rural apartments, six apartments in Williamsburg, Brooklyn. My grandparents were in one. My parents and I were in another. My uncle was in another. My great uncle, my other great uncle, and my great aunt. So that was the, the house that had been in my family for, at that point, 80-something years and had, you know, raised and, and nourished hundreds of members of my family. I think, like, the census for 1930, there was, like, 80 people living in there, all, all my family. I was saying how it was weird being a modern American guy with this upbringing that really was like an Italian village. So my grandmother did some like home renovations and chopped up one of the apartments and used the front half as like a guest room. Mm -hmm. So when we moved out of the building and we'd come back, I'd stay as a little kid in this guest room that was separated from my grandmother's apartment by a hallway. And my grandmother didn't want me to have to get up in the middle of the night and walk the hallway to use the bathroom. So she would put out a decommissioned, dented saucepan as uh, what the Italians would call a pisciaduta. And that was my, my pot. And Pat, Pat shared that experience in a way. Pat, you want to share, you want to share the version you shared with me? Yeah, my grandmother was paranoid of me falling out of the bed. I still don't understand why. Mm-hmm. And I would wake up out of, of a bed surrounded by kitchen chairs. <laughs> it was like being in a little prison as a child. And you wake up and all you see was... But you went to bed, there were no chairs. And you wake up and there'd be all chairs around you. And I just thought everybody went to bed surrounded by chairs. I don't know if it was... The key thing is going to be an assault from the outside. It's like a little castle. And my grandmother was paranoid because... The bathroom was kind of in the sort of in the hall, close to the hall, drafty. So my grandmother was paranoid about me getting sick and cold air is the worst thing in the world. The poison. Poison. So she would come with a polio container and you had to urinate in the morning. That was an indication of good health, (laughs) shall we say. And I was pressured to urinate into a polio container. I was pressured. And if you couldn't urinate, you had to urinate and there'd be a second. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and my grandmother, if you couldn't urinate, would start to make a sound oh, resembling urination because <laughs> somehow that was supposed to encourage urination. And I don't know why I'm telling this on a podcast, but I'm just here to make everybody happy. But the, but the truth <laughs> is, the fact on. that we shared right, that. That's, that's, very bond, that's a very random bonding story. Like yeah. when you meet somebody. Well, and, gonna, uh, people don't lose total respect for us when this thing goes on. No, I think they're going to get. They respect. all have Italian, old like old Italian nonnas. They know like how crazy and loving and adorable so are you and smothering Facebook, they can be. Wait, are you going to have Facebook people coming on saying, "I too had a urinating." Absolutely. So we're going to have a yes. we're going to have a Facebook feed. Is Zuckerberg going to cut this out because it's like the new fake news? Right. Are we going to fall under that though. Italian American fake news? <laughs> but I mean, like the idea of, of that or the idea of being surrounded by chairs. I mean, I I. Slept the same way. Like you'd, you'd fall no, asleep. No kid to know, today knows that. I bet you they do. That's what we're here to find is out. There a kid out there? Well, you're too young to tell us. Is there anybody there who still puts chairs around their kid's bed? I don't understand. That's a good question. That Does anybody question still do that? Knowing. My well, mother was big no. on that. Yeah, you're you're talking about what made Pat and you so close. You know, what started it all was a shared experience, and that's very much what has grown our friendship, John and Pat, as well. You know, we, we're close because we have a shared commonality through our heritage and. I have gone to so many places, I've talked about this before on the show, that I never imagined I would go to, and and I mean that like physically and in my life, because of my growing uh, relationship with other young Italian Americans. So this is an important thing, right? You know, it's not just let's share a recipe or let's post a picture of the meatballs. Like, that's important. But I think I'm always trying to convey on the show that it can change your life. And with the new neighborhood, people meet in the neighborhood and then they meet in real life. You know, they become friends and they go have coffee together. And if somebody's in somebody else's town, they connect. And now they have an Italian-American friend they didn't have before. Because I think of myself as like a neighborhood guy who doesn't have a neighborhood anymore. Right, exactly. And so this is a limitless, digitized right. That's neighborhood. That's the entire point of this. That's yeah. the entire point. Though the, you do have a neighborhood, it's just not a brick and mortar. Exactly, right. yeah. Virtual like you guys are my neighborhood. neighborhood. Yeah, exactly. The new neighborhood is my neighborhood. You know, it, and that's how we just want to keep it's expanding It's a telematic that. neighborhood. Yeah, Whoa. telematic. That was a word he used before. I like telematic. Yeah. But that's what it is. And, and, like, look, the first time you and I ever sat down, you came to our offices yep. at NIAF at the time. I think your listeners probably recognize my voice. Maybe as the former president of the National Italian American Foundation, Dolores and Anthony came down. We, we started to work together. 
and they decided to do an episode based on a day at the headquarters in Washington. And one of the themes of the conversation that I took away from it was like, we talk sometimes in very nostalgic overtones, Mm -hmm. but the truth of the matter is nostalgia is not going to do much for us. Mm -hmm. What we really need to celebrate, instead of saying, you know, oh, this is dying or we're losing this or or bemoaning changes, we need to celebrate evolution of, of how our culture for two people in our age group, for right. example, could unite over something kind of antiquated and nostalgic, but move the culture forward and keep this idea of us collectively fraternizing and socializing and sharing now deep connections in life based on heritage. You don't have the exactly. physical geography anymore. Pat, you tell a great story about Mostachola you, you shared with me. I think that's a good sort what of story is that? about the evolution of the of the recipe. Oh, well, that's an episode. But I mean, hint onto this because this is academic mode. With yeah, this is important. This is what the show is about. I was in, I was in, I was in County Sorrento, and a man who's very involved with the municipality, Domenico Cinque, had a conversation with me. And Piano di Sorrento celebrates one of the many saint days they celebrate. Part of the town celebrates Our Lady of Grace on July second, and they have a really stunning procession. And back in the Bourbon era, I'm 99% sure that, I'm very strongly sure that it was, a, it was a holiday there. So people would have had the day off. In Italy, even if it wasn't a, a, the entire region or the whole south had a day off, it was a local holiday, you had the day off. So this huge, really gorgeous procession everyone could participate in. And in the modern world, very few people could get off to take off July 2nd to do the procession. And so it was getting smaller and smaller, and Domenico Cinque, as a lay person who was very involved with the community, was part of the group that pushed to have it moved to the first Sunday in July. And a lot of people pushed back and said, yeah, but the tradition is July 2nd, this is horrible, this is terrible. And his response, it was very um, pragmatic, kind of quick and pragmatic, and I thought it hit the nail on the head. He's like, listen, either we move it to the Sunday or it's going to die. And I think that, that that was like, wow, yeah, you're right. You're absolutely right. You could hold on to keep it July 2nd, and it's either going to wither away or it's just going to be much smaller than it is now. You can move it to the first Sunday in July. They're difficult decisions to make. We talk about this a lot, right, because as the listeners are going to get to know us, they get to know us. We happen to be passionate and involved with a lot of feasts, and we talk to people who put these things on. And this is a, a decision huge societies face all over the America, right? Yeah, it's, 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 you, could, you could do a series, not an episode, you could do a series on this. And the most achoic conversation is, is these Neapolitan cookies I like at Easter. But a lot of them, the Rococo and the Mostacho and the Susamil, they were made to be dunked. So even in a pre-coffee world, in a Renaissance world, when these cookies kind of came into their own, they're really medieval recipes, but when they took on their present aesthetic form, they were used at the end of a meal to dip into wine, and you'd have it dipping in, and you'd have it soaking in the wine, and the wine softened the cookie, and then you would eat the cookie softened by the wine. But if you're not from a dipping wine culture, or you've had so many dishes at Christmas, you just can't take another one on, you can't just pick up one of these cookies and just eat it. And what's happening was the cookie was dying. They're hard. They're hard. break your teeth. Yeah. Even in the time, they call them teeth breakers. And what's happened is that I make them every year. Nobody wants to eat them because you have to eat them. You can't just pick them up and have one. You have to dunk it and, you know. And I came to the conclusion that either I was going to wind up throwing them out every year with my California-grown, specially delivered almonds <laughs> that I'm very proud of. But that's another story for another day. Or that you're going to have to add egg and other fats because the cookies have no fat in them. That's why they're so hard. Or you'd have to add other non-traditional ingredients to make them softer. And a lot of purists are going to say, well, that's not mostachola. Yeah, you're correct. That is not the traditional mostachola, but it's going to survive in a different form. And I think that when people question this, the real argument is that the tomato, which if you ask anyone in, outside the Italian community or inside the Italian, what, what is the vegetable of Italy, or especially the South, they're going to say a tomato. That's only been on the scene the last, probably like the... 240 years, really, 200 years. And before that in the south of Italy, what kind of today became known as the um, menesta maridada, which was the meat soup with vegetables, that was the Sunday soup, the main Sunday meal. If you go into parts of Emilia-Romagna, they call it the Sunday meal, la menesta della domenica, the Sunday soup. Mm. And then the tomato came, and then tomato and macaroni marries like nobody's business. 
And instead of the few pieces of meat that would be boiled in the manesta maradada to give them the soup flavor, if you put them in the tomato sauce, now, now you have what we know now as that Sunday pot of gravy. But it's a 200-year-old phenomenon at best, 220 years old. So if you went to the Naples of Torquato Tasso, who was in Sorrento, and said to him, the, the Neapolitan record would be unknown to him. I, I, just bought, may I, I, I just bought a book on Neapolitan medieval cooking. It's fascinating. You would not recognize any of the recipes in there. No one today. If you sit down with his 20 recipes, where do they come from? The last place on earth they would ever say is south of Italy. One is a chicken that's dressed with a sauce of sugar and cinnamon. Very medieval. Very medieval. But it's not part of the modern Italian lexicon. In one sense, we've kind of frozen a 19th century picture of the south of Italy and said, this is Italian-American culture. This is the base of Italian-American culture. Or this is the base of Italian-American food gastronomy. But that's a choice we've made. Yeah. Sub- subconsciously. Right. Not, not subconsciously, really aware. Sure. Uh, and, unaware and, of and it. And that, that forces us. We, we run up against that when we go to Italy now. I mean, that's a conversation we had in the episodes about sure, the South. 100%. They're like, look at these yokels who are keeping alive this culture from the 1880s to the 1920s. It embarrasses a lot of people. In the yeah, South it does. But to get back to the Mostachola is that it has an option. I mean, you see it less and less in bakeries. But, you know, my counter-argument is that it beats the people, get, go, they got these um, magazines that you get at the checkout line in the supermarket for all these Christmas cookies. I can assure you that a Neapolitan Mostacholo beats all of them. I mean, like, you know, this, this, this conversation is a hyper-specific example of exactly what we talk about all the time, which is like, do you fall on your sword and let your culture ossify and die because it's how it used to be done, or do you evolve... What it's like the the sacred and the profane. We talk about this, I think, in the episode we did in NIAF. You can't lose sight of the sacred for the profane. You have to understand that these things are going to evolve. Our traditions are going to evolve. The way we do things are going to evolve. Like whether or not you can be together as a family on a Sunday, but you do it on a Tuesday or whatever that is. I mean, this is the idea that we talk about in the context of the neighborhood. The neighborhood is not a brick-and-mortar place anymore. People don't really live in ethnic enclaves. Our community doesn't like they used to. But how do you get that same sense of safety and fulfillment and familiarity and really that empowerment that comes with those communities? Because as much as they were options of last resort and economic sort of convenience— they also evolved into really empowering places to come from because right. you were safe and you were familiar and, and you had an entire community to fall back on in a lot of cases. They evolved. And we're conscious of that evolution now as a post-assimilation group. And I think that's kind of what we want this to be about. I'm sure there's going to be plenty of episodes that are really fun and funny and light, plenty that are really deep and introspective. But I think at the core of all of them is going to be this idea we're a new kind of Italian-American community now. And what is that? And we can use our sort of anthropological, experience-based bent to dig backwards and say, you know, yeah, this Mostachola cookie is different, but it's a cookie built for today and for the future. And its spirit, if a cookie can have a spirit, is right there in the one that's come from, from hundreds and hundreds of years of family right. history. Right, it's essence. It's essence, is thank there. you. It's there, absolutely. Yeah. Authentic. Yeah, well, because authentic doesn't mean that it is the same. It means that it is achieving mm-hmm. the same thing, mm-hmm. right? That its, yep. that its spirit is the same. Well, you know, I haven't talked about this on the show in a while. I mean, I have been a little on a hiatus, to be honest, as the listeners know. But it was something we used to talk about a lot. I'm sure you guys will talk about it. I'm sure we'll continue to talk about it, which is that it almost seems like in this day of like globalization and it's, it's so praised that it's almost like a, a sin or like not PC to take pride in connecting with other people based on your particular heritage. I know someone in college in a, in a very well-known, very prestigious American university who said that being Italian-American isn't cool in the new suburb, I call it suburban America, right? Where we've, we're post the old states, the New England states, New York, New Jersey. Now you have Italian American populations in places like Arizona and North Carolina and Metro DC. And this young lady said to me something that was stunning. She said, if she told her friends she was going to a Peruvian or an African or a 
Asian cultural event, it would be seen very cool. But Italian-Americans kind of seems ridiculous. And she had told people that she was going to an Italian, an IF event. And they're like, why would you go to that? And I think in the late 90s, the winds were blowing in our favor. I think now they're not. I think because now in a, in a society that's a lot of identity politics, Italian-Americans have been lumped in as white. And you can't, how are you, it doesn't fit, it doesn't fit the narrative of mainstream media. Yeah. And so when they're saying they're going to an Italian-American event, and plus we have the war that we've played, which is a serious war against mainstream media that has chosen to depict our culture as something that's fit for a mafia movie. Yeah. And I think that this young lady saying she was going to a very high-end Italian-American event to be kind of said, like, oh, why would you go to that for? And to be able to say, you know, if I had said to them I was going to, like, you know, an event at the Bolivian embassy, and wow, that's so cool, I wish I could come, just shows that we have not been recognized or respected by mainstream media as a subsisting ethnicity. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I think that if you say to anyone what was the largest lynching in American history, it happened in New Orleans against, was it, 11 Italian Americans mm -hmm. in 1891? Was it 1891? Yeah, 1891. And where is that in the history books? Yeah. Right? It's, it's almost, a fa it's, it's people like, oh, like, why would you? Why Italian, bring it up? Why bring it up? And it, it, it's really, it's, it's, it's really unacceptable that the mainstream media has chosen to sideline Italian Americans, or at best to call them white ethnics. Yeah. And I think that that's part of it, that we're an unheard voice. And that's the interesting thing, right? Like, I always encountered this when I was in IAF. In terms of the numbers, demographically speaking, we're probably upwards of 25 million people who have some Italian ancestry. And in terms of self-identification numbers, in the last two censuses, we actually increased in people who took the time on the ethnicity line to write in, because we're not on the census anymore, Italian or Italian-American, 18.2 million this time, 18 million the, the, the census before. So in terms of self-identification, it's really healthy. People still think of themselves as Italian. They don't sure. think of themselves Mainstream as... media does not... How many... Yeah. Let, let's be honest. With the exception of Maria Bartiromo, when are you turning into a national Italian-American coast-to-coast, maybe Neil Cavuto who's on Fox News... Yeah. Um, where you're seeing an Italian American on 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 air. Well, the thing is that you, I, I, the think thing is, dismissed. I think we're dismissed. I think. But here's what's worse a about it: there's a dismissal from mainstream media. Let me make it even worse. There's tons of Italian Americans on, you know, Joy Behar, Charlie Gasparino. The list goes on and on and on. The fact that that, and I'm sure there are still a, a lot of Italian Americans like us who look at somebody and go, "Oh, that's an Italian American. I identify with them." But the fact that the rest of the country doesn't. You know they, they don't stick out anymore, right? Like we're not we're not popping out as like there's the Italian American on TV. So we hit this weird period. That's part of the reason why I'm so in love with this idea of Italian power. And, and we you know we had a conversation before we went on air about the name but, of the show. But, uh, can I just jump in there? I, I want to address the, the weird period statement. We're a complete. Uh, we're a, we're a, to a degree a complacent culture. Always have been. Always have been. And I think that we had a place at the table when the same people now who are branding us as white ethnics or white, and not that the Italian Americans aren't white or doesn't, don't fall into that category under the tra traditional parameters, but who just kind of dis dismiss the difference, the specialness of the subset. Not, not to mention, you know, you say not that we don't fall into, but when you talk about racial laws in this country. 100%. Not only did, were we not falling into, we were actually segmented out of. When you talk about quotas, yeah, but even when we talk about quotas, right? Like Southern Italian was different than Northern Italian in the immigration quotas, and Southern Italians were, were legislated against. And when you had these charts of sort of ranking ethnicities that, that the government was using, we were not white, right? So it's, it's even like not only did we become white, we started as non-white. We started even lower than other groups that got here that have now been sort of lumped together as white ethnics. We, as a community, as we usually fail to do, fail to tell that story to ourselves, fail to tell that story to our young people and say, look, you know, it's not as simple as you're just the average American. The assimilation or integration process had lumps and had pains. But if, I, if I could just jump in with that, I think that if you want to call this the neighborhood, maybe this is the moment to call this the neighborhood. To the people who are listening to this, I think the vast majority are interested in this subject. And what we have to say to ourselves is, 
they stopped listening to us or recognizing us once they realized we weren't a voting block. That's right. Yeah, that's exactly When we were a voting block, uh, people bent over backwards yep. to have Italian American Month and Italian American Heritage Day and to fly the Italian flag in front of City Hall on Columbus Day and to make sure that there was an Italian American appointed to this bench and that bench and this committee. And we could get into the whole Scalia conversation in the 1984 election with Geraldine Ferraro. But the moment that they began to say, okay, that either they're not a voting block or whatever of a voting block they are doesn't carry the weight to cater to them, that's when we were kind of dust under the rug. And I also think that a lot of people who make media decisions in America don't know the culture or don't understand the culture or the Italian-Americans they have met have been people who tried really hard to get accepted into the country club and did everything in their power to bury their ethnicity. It's, we're in a safe... Can I use my kind of the, the, the modern terminology of the safe place? We're in the safe place having this conversation amongst ourselves, for those of you who are listening to it, because we can really say that we, can, we have a culture that does not mirror the negative aspects that have been portrayed in mass media. That's the other, the other battle that we're fighting. So either they don't recognize us or they expect us to fit the organ grinder, mafia, tough guy image, which has been the other battle we fought against. I mean, look at Rocky. Yeah. You know, another movie. You know, Rocky, we, 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 Saturday Night Fever and Rocky, they don't see us as the brain surgeons and the inventors and the scientists and the jurors, which we have been. Yeah, it, it, in disproportionate numbers. Overrepresented yeah. in. So you're not going to have a Wall Street movie with an Italian-American name. You're not going to have, you know, the doctor in the film with an Italian-American name. But, you know, Vinnie Boombox is going to have the Italian-American name. And we laughed at it for a long time. But a lot of it is our underpinning. And I think that if you go back to that young lady who said that they kind of think it's kind of, I don't, I don't know what the word, I don't want to say stupid, but kind of ridiculous. Why go into an Italian-American Unnecessary. Unnecessary is because they don't understand why she self-identifies as Italian-American which she is partially Italian-American, and they also don't identify. And I think a lot of these people, especially parts of the country where Italian-Americans don't have a strong presence, and a lot of the new places, I think that they also they see Italian-Americans in the default images of the Mama Leone, tough guy, uh, you know, uh, Saturday Night Fever um, portrayals. And this is hurting us. Yeah. If you take where we come from, ethnic, I mean, we can't say where we're from, but we, our roots are from a culture, and some of us listening here were born there, come from a culture that has 68% of like UNESCO, UNESCO World Heritage Sites? 58%. 58%. I mean, sit back and take that number, right? Yeah. That's not a self-reporting number. When UNESCO tells you that you have 58%, the majority of the World Heritage Sites, you don't need to prove yourself to anyone. Could you imagine if like you said to somebody, go get a McDonald's hamburger, but 58% of the hamburgers are available in New Jersey? Because Italy's not 100%. a big country. So it's like, you got... If, if, the size it, of Florida. Yeah. So, a country the size of Florida has 58% of the World's Heritage Sites. UNESCO, UNESCO recognized. The beauty of the internet has liberated us from having to have someone approve of who we are or what we say or what we think. It is the First Amendment in its fullness and glory. People are screaming about fake news and and all these other things, but it's a competition of voices. If your voice has merit, if your message is true and it can be proven, set it out. That's my opinion. Set it out on the internet. Let Let it speak for itself. And I think that in the days of old media, we couldn't go to CBS and ask for this program. Exactly. Yeah. And and that's a, that's part of my goal here, right? Like sure. when we sat down with Dolores and Anthony and said, you know, what could we do to the first of all? Let, let me be really honest, right? From the time I met Dolores and Anthony, I was completely taken by what you guys were doing. We're doing this in family here, guys. So you're going to meet throughout these episodes the team that's going to produce these things with us: Anthony O'Boyle, who you've met before on the show and Miss Stephanie Gordon, who's been with me for about five or six years now professionally, who is also an Italian American and very passionate, was with me at NEAF. Stephanie can attest, I was totally in love with what you guys were doing with the podcast because I saw it as, like you say, Pat, a democratic way to reach a population that if 18.2 million people wrote they feel Italian or Italian-American is clearly out there. So the idea, I always had a little sort of jealousy for the opportunity to get to do something like this. So when we all became close and started to get involved with works together and the conversation came up about creating more programming, I thought that that's exactly what I could do and we could do as a team to help. For me, I always 
sort of secretly wanted to be doing what you guys are doing because I felt like events are local. Not everybody's a member of groups. Not everybody participates in the same way. It's the sort of bowling alone era. But this is a great avenue for people because not only is it familiar and fun, but you can plug in your buds or whatever the heck they are now whenever you want. You can listen in your car. You can listen in your home. You can listen while you cook. You can do it a million different ways, but you're part of something. And then you can take the next step. I'm going to say this, and some people I think I think I'm crazy, but I think time will prove this as correct. It's revolutionary what we're doing is because we are at – I don't think people in general realize where we are today in 2018 globally. It's the first time in history where everyone can really be in touch with everyone. There's really no inaccessible parts of the world. Through the internet and all the social media platforms, a one-world culture is possible. Why do I say it? And, and for those of you who are like, wow, this sounds wacky, j- just stay with me a moment. I was looking at a Facebook post from Italy, and a lot of them being written in English. Stunningly. I mean, more and more English. And I've heard, I don't know where I, I don't know where I heard this, but someone was telling me they were working overseas. And I, I know it's, if it doesn't help this conversation, I can't remember where they were, but they were like kindergarten kids. And a lot of countries now, kids are taking English classes from kindergarten up. They're watching media at home in English. And there were kids in a foreign country with a foreign language, and I wish I could remember where it was, where this person was there visiting, and the kindergarten kids were speaking to each other in English. And we're losing so many languages around the world because of the whole reasons why languages die, but because we're coalescing into a a global culture. Well, it's the same thing that happened to what people refer to as Italian dialects after the advent of radio. Yeah, 100%. And and TV, post-war, was really the sort of... And and now we face it globally. And I say to people all the time is that if you traveled internationally in the 90s, before the infancy of the internet, before the internet took off in Europe, and you traveled there now, the change is unbelievable because we're so much more alike now than we are different. From dressing and customs, and even in Europe, you know, yeah. uh, you know, my father's born and raised in Ireland. Ireland's changed tremendously. What changed Ireland? Ryanair. People flew around, and you know, Irish cuisine. I mean, I couldn't get coffee. Coffee was impossible to get in Ireland twenty five years ago. And now Irish cuisine. People laugh at me. Food in Ireland has always had great farm products, you know, meats and and root vegetables stuff that grows well in Ireland. And now the Irish have traveled internationally and they've picked up cooking in countries like France and Greece and Italy from their vacations. And Ireland's taken off gastronomically. And, and that's just a sign of how the world is changing globally. Well, it's access. I mean, that's it's the same access. thing about the show. Like it, you think about the idea that, you know, in the, in the Grand Tour, the lingua franca was French and all of the aristocracy or educated people actually received that education through travel. So you were exposed. You spoke the same language. The whole world can have access but, to that now. But, but this is where I see the question coming in. I think it would be, would be hard-pressed to find anyone who's been moving around the world in the last couple of years not to agree with this. But there's going to be, a, there is a reaction happening. And look at Catalonia and Spain, where people are searching for identity. Identity is going to be one of the big questions of the 21st century. The fact that Catalonia is in such a, Spain is in such a mess because a region of Spain that hasn't had really independent nation in probably 400 years. Yeah, 1730-something. That, that split with a part off in France at a, a, a time when Europe is coming together. Why they are fighting so hard to be apart is indicative of the subsisting need in an individual to identify with the tribe. Exactly. Belgium, the question with Wallonia. Veneto, talking about, you know, an, indi- an independent Veneto. I don't know if you saw, I actually texted you last night. Yeah, yeah, so. Austria... Is now I don't know if it's a fringe party. I didn't get enough of details, but there's talk. It was talking by some people in the Austrian Parliament are giving South Tyrol and Italy, which had traditionally been part of Austria, Austria offering those Germanic-speaking people in South Tyrol Austrian passports. And not to mention now, it is not a fringe party. I mean, it's a it's a right wing party. I, I don't know whether it, it's a right wing party that's in control of the Parliament at this point. So it's a, it's a legitimate. I mean, this is the government right. of, of Austria talking about the majority of people in in South Tyrol who are Germanic, uh, German speakers, and offering them dual citizenship. I mean, you're, you're talking about real identity politics, and, and not just identity politics, a search for identity, right? And, and I don't know why it exists. I'm not a psychologist or a psychologist. I don't have that kind of educational background. But if you're really looking at what's going on in the world, it, it's happening. And I think that the question is here now. And I think that it's something that has to be examined because you now have, a, uh, if you take the generation of kids who are in college now, they're living in a world of identity politics. 
And I was actually overseas when everything hit the fan in North Carolina this summer. But I think that if we were a healthy country, we'd be exploring and discussing what does identity mean in America um, and subsets of identity. And I don't think you hear those things on, on major network media because those aren't the conversations that are flashy enough to get the viewership that people are looking for. But I think that maybe, you know, let's go to the, I mean, I know we didn't want to talk about this in the past episode. We had talked about it. It's a little bit grim, but the Florida shootings, the shooting in, in Park, was it Parkland, Parkland. Florida? And the idea of, and this is separate from the gun debate and everything else involved, is how does a kid wind up like that? You know, why did I, when I graduated, so it was unheard of. Until Columbine, the idea of a, of a kid going in and shooting up, shooting up a school was just unheard of. When you talk to people in the South in the 50s, they'd get shotguns for Christmas, they'd bring them in the back of the truck to show their friends they after school. You know, we had a gun culture in America, and something happened. And I think Columbine in 19, that was the, uh, 1999. 89, yeah. Yeah, 99. It was the, the spring of 99. All of a sudden it changed where you have kids who are in school now who are used to shooter drills the same way we were used to fire drills. And I wonder so much, if we go back to Hillary Clinton's comment about it takes a village, the village is gone. Yeah. But did that village, you know, if there was a breakdown in the family or if there was a problem in the family, was the, the neighborhood back to the neighborhood conversation, was that the safety net that helped keep kids from going down the rabbit holes of this insanity? Well, it's like a, a lot of Italian-Americans talk about this, right? This idea that, like, when you lived in a community that was self-aware and familiar, you get, look, there's always bad seeds. But John Rosa talked about this in the episode we did at NIAF. Like, for him, it was like this idea of collective responsibility to the collective. So like if he was going to do something bad, he not only, he'd sort of put his toe to the line, as he says, but he would think about it differently. It was like, well, you got your parents, you have your grandparents, your aunts and uncles, the, the kumbadi next door, the people that knew you. You were beholden to this sense of collectivity and, and this idea of the village and, and, raising. And the, also, yeah, 100%. And there was general concern. I think that if you go back to the, politi- the politicized conversation of Hillary Clinton and raising a village, or it takes a village to raise a child, I think that if you go back to the neighborhood of, we'll talk about it pre-Kennedy, mm-hmm. I think once the Kennedy assassination, though we weren't around for it, was a watershed kind of like September 11th, there's a before and there's an after. Same thing with Pearl Harbor. If you look at neighborhoods before the Kennedy assassination, you were probably related to half the block. Yeah. So it wasn't just the neighbor caring, the, the kid was your nephew. But that's, or he was your cousin. But that's an interesting thing about our communities, right? Because you and I are born in the late 70s, early 80s, and we get to experience the tail end of that. That's part of what yeah, brought 1975. us. Yeah, 1975. I mean, I'm, I'm in the mid-80s when we leave the neighborhood, and, and it was still a neighborhood where you didn't know everybody and were related I to was, everybody. I lived on a block. It's funny. because it's and It wasn't something that's isolated to the Italian-American experience. No. Because I lived on a block in Jersey City where... Downstairs from my parents was my aunt and her adult son, and a couple doors down were my grandparents, and downstairs from them and it was another great aunt, because my aunt downstairs from us was a great aunt, another great aunt and her adult son, and around the corner from her was her daughter and her four kids. So you were never alone. Yeah. And uh, my grandfather's family in another part of Jersey City, they, there was a whole group of them in, in, in one night in on Center Street in one isolated group. But even my father's immigrant, because my father came to the United States when he was 17, even my father's family, which, because my parents, my mother's side was at the end of the Italian neighborhood, and my father immigrated to where the Irish neighborhood began. My father's family all lived within, I'd say, a block in Jersey City. They had all immigrated from the same couple of villages in Ireland. They were all related, cousins multiple times over. And there was a, you didn't, you didn't need, a, you didn't need, no one ever paid for a babysitter. Yeah. And... If you look at the kid in the park on I mean, would that's and there are people who just have deep seated mental problems and all the family intervention in the world can't help that. We all recognize that. But for the, the stuff that leads a kid that can be saved from that sort of end down that road, if and I think the shooter had lost both his parents, whatever whatever mm-hmm. added to this situation, and we're not taking away any culpability he might have had for his own actions, but whatever was going on inside of him, were there Stopgap measures is that the correct word? Yeah. In the old neighborhood, that would have said, "Listen, you got a problem with you know, you don't want to see it, but you know, you got something wrong with your son. You got to do something here." We're there, and sometimes it was it was fighting. You know, I had a, a friend of mine talked about they moved from Brooklyn to the sticks of New Jersey, and he said to us, and he was devastated by it. They moved in the eighties, 
He said to his father, why are we moving to the sticks? And his father said that basically he wanted privacy. He said, you know, you come out the door, everybody's in our business. They know what we're doing. They know what we're saying. He goes, I'm on the stoop. They, he goes, I, I, don't, I don't have any privacy. So I think that, yeah, I think some people saw the intrusion into their lives without actually seeing, and I'm not saying it was intrusive, but, you know, some stuff, you mean, you, you move out to, his father said, you know, we move out to the sticks. He goes, I can walk around the front wall in my underwear and nobody's going to talk about me. But that, that, I mean, it's interesting, right? It's like, the question becomes, are new immigrant communities in the same mentality and same collective we were? And I, I think that you talk about that idea of no privacy, right? Like, I, if we're going to go to the... Privacy had different expectations. Yeah. It was no, it was, it had a different, I think that... Privacy had different expectations, but I think that Italian Americans began to judge themselves based on television shows. So if you if you take the TV shows of the fifties, you know there's Lucy, you know, the uh, Ozzie and Harriet, Ozzie and Harriet, you know, there was a nuclear family, a mother, a father, and two kids, and they're the only people you ever saw at a dinner table. Christmas, Easter, Sunday, Fourth of July, Tuesday night when Dad comes home from work, it was four people, and. <clears throat> My grandmother, my grandmother hosted a whole block of people on Sundays who didn't have anywhere to go, who was by themselves. No one ever ate alone. That yeah. was the wor- worst thing for an Italian was to have to eat alone. And the 1950s culture saw that as weird. In mainstream, I don't even want to say mainstream culture because I think that we're quick to judge rural parts of America, the American South, had the same communal type living. So for these other ethnic groups, Lithuanians and Slovakians and Croatians, and I, for other people who had strong... And it all comes from the European village, from the agricultural village mentality. American mainstream media didn't recognize that, whether because they had moved, because maybe what we call wasp culture had moved away from that, or what we conceive as upper class wasp culture, or the people who were in decision making positions in media. But let's chose to portray that. But I think Italian Americans walked away from it because their lifestyle wasn't glorified on TV. It is a deeper question here that that could be a whole Part show it. on its own, which is that. Sort of Catholic and Protestant divide, right? Is it, is it, it, it the, you know, there's something to be said about the sort of Protestant sure, individualism 100%, that, that we didn't come with. But I think also, I have a cousin who married into a family in the South, and I think that they were a culture, and I think that having chosen the wrong side in the slavery debate and having lost the Civil War subsequently and having, again, had issues that tied their community to the segregation that predates the civil rights movement in the 60s and the 1950s and 60s, there were a lot of positive aspects of the American South in communities that we've never recognized. And when CBS, I mean, if you take CBS's portrayal of the American South in the 60s, hee-haw and, you know, um, Beverly Hillbillies. So the Italian-Americans at least didn't have a negative, I mean, they had negative portrayals in media. But sometimes they were kind of silly and buffoonish. The American South really was had a cultural onslaught. So this, this will be the sort of more fun segment, light. But, I mean, these kind of conversations are what we hope to, to be doing on this show, right? right? I mean, we've talked about, Dolores, this idea of sort of a deeper dive, a little bit more casual in, in its structure than an right. interview. So I think this is kind of what people can expect. And maybe you want to lead me to, like, well, what else can I expect? Yeah, know? that's what I, was exactly where I was going. I mean, I think that listeners love the structure that Anthony and I have. I think it has a place. But they, whenever we've done shows, you know, with you and Pat, for instance, or other people where we're really just sitting around the table talking, uh, or, like, I've done ones with my family, my aunts, uh, listeners really, really love those shows, too. And I think it just is a testament to the... Uh, communal, as you guys have been talking about, nature of our culture and how we really love to sit around the table and just talk and talk and talk. I think it's a great counterpart to the Italian American podcast. And I'm really looking forward to the shows you guys are going to provide. But would you tell us a little bit about what listeners can expect going forward? Yeah, I think I think from my perspective, you can expect to be entertained, educated, and part of the conversation on issues that range from big, broad picture issues like we're talking about now to hyper-specifics. You know, we've sat down. Pat and I do have three or four-hour phone calls on a regular basis. And part of the decision behind this was like, this is stuff we talk about. And sometimes it's it's uproariously funny, and sometimes it's really serious. And, you know, we've talked about a lot of ideas 
that we'd like to be discussing on the show. And they range. And they range from segments of Italian-American history, real deep-dive episodes of who we are and how we got here, opportunity to talk about things like our vocabulary and the, and the, the, the Italian language that, or regional languages that we have evolved here in this country that, you know, words like bacalas people will laugh at, but they're real and they're real to our community. The feasts that we celebrate and the people that make them go, the foods that we eat, our genealogy, our history, the churches and saints and enclaves and, and institutions that are still out there and nourishing our, our identity, the people that we interact with from famous celebrities that we happen to have come across and gotten to know and become friends with all the way to the local shoemaker or butcher that has an interesting story that really needs to be out there because it's, it's part of who we are. Our superstitions, the things that make us us, travel, media, the places and people that are out there, the events that we go to, the things that we do. You know, it's one of the, we always say like, this is an episode as yeah. we're planning this. Like <laughs> the great story is we were all really thrilled to be invited to Dolores and Drew's uh, recent wedding. And of course, because it was Italian-American, there was a miscommunication on our end. So me, Pat and Anthony came out to the mass and didn't realize there was a reception for everybody between the mass and the actual reception. There was? So, yeah. yeah, it was part of my fault too. Where I was communicate it? at my house. So yeah, so instead of going right to the Del- instead of going to Dolores' uh, house down I the street, I went to Uncle Giuseppe. Uncle Giuseppe, if, you, if you're out there and you want to cut a check, that would be a sponsor. A cases, but we went. But you first of all, freebie, don't. We, we drove separately. We drove separately to, to the wedding. It was not a bad. It was not a total waste because you went to Uncle. Gi- Uncle Giuseppe's, we're waiting for the check. Uncle yeah, we Giuseppe's may we may bleep out the name. Yeah, yeah. yeah let, let's should. take let's do an alternate take. Mm-hmm. We, gonna, we Uncle went. Giuseppe, you're gonna get one. You're gonna get one freebie <laughs> if you send a check. We're gonna unbleep your name in the rest of the program. Bingo! It was a fantastic. We what we walked around. We had a great time Thanks, at your man. supermarket. We had a blast. Do the right thing. We do spent right what, two hours. Oh, it was fantastic. Two hours. Oh, walking we're gonna do a aisle. walking tour of your supermarket. If you just open the checkbook, and that's the <laughs> open the checkbook. How many times in that two hours we say this is an episode right. talking about the products talking about wow they have this they have that so these are the kind of things we really really intend to talk about and and, and high uh, issues the groups that are out there what are they doing where's the community going institutionally great guests everything from taking off the Maloikia to uh, the, the controversy around Columbus Day yeah. we intend to talk about and we intend to bring other voices in so this is always going to be something like the neighborhood like you know Susan Palercio who I'm sure will be on the show from East Harlem now Westchester said something brilliant to me and Pat uh, the last time we were together she said you know people always talk about the loss of the Sunday dinner but they failed to recognize that we didn't have a lot of money or space mm-hmm. and that was at a premium but what people did every day was coffee yeah. Stop by for coffee, bring yeah. some pastry. That's a loss that's even greater. And she's brilliant. But that, ha- that happened because everybody lived yeah. within walking right. distance. But my that's point is, they- that's what this is going to be. This is going to be stop by for coffee. And I think our listeners and the listeners of the podcast are going to get to meet uh, a lot of our friends that are out that's there, right. hear interesting voices, mm-hmm. and have a hell of a lot of fun with us on the Italian American Power Hour. I'm going to pop in from now and, now and again. Well, you have to. I mean, that, <laughs> that, that, that's, I that, still don't know why I'm here. That's, that, that is exactly why you're here, because there's no more Italian <laughs> sentiment than I don't know why I'm here. But I want to just make sure we put a plug in there. As this episode airs, you're going to be able now, to... I, I came to find out there was a party that I was... Not invited to. Was it really a party? Now he's going to be talking about this all day uh, at another uh, party. That we're, yeah, going. Exactly. we're going to one of the largest Italian American parties. It was, was just it? a place but to go. Any, I don't, even, I don't even know how many not, people went. I don't cookies, think a lot of people did. I'm going to do a voiceover on. and lower the volume on this is debate this? and just say thank you for wait, listening. Hold on a minute. This, wait, 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 you can't. Freaking wait, hold on. Idea. Hold on. we got to do right by this. Are they are they special rainbow cookies? Is she a specialist in rainbow cookies? I mean... I mean, she's they know, but do, but, but do people say, like, yes. oh, the rainbow cookies? They ask her when they're having a communion for their kid. Thank you. Funny. <laughs> well, now you know what Pat's getting next time we're yeah. together. I'll give you a rain check. You'll come over. We'll have her make them. Yeah, that's what they all say. You never see. And no, as the voiceover fades in, <laughs> uh, I just want to say, I want to make sure, you know, we tell everybody that, that we really want this to be an interactive show. We want to hear from you. We want you to follow us on social media. Get if you on want there. to send cookies, send them to Dolores. Oh, if you want to send any food, send them to Dolores. Don't poison us. <laughs> yeah, please don't. I mean, after you're a bad cook, we have enemies out there. 
<laughs> there will be enemies made because this is an Italian show. You're going to have a taster. We do need Stephanie's open. <laughs> oh, thank you. I'm actually shocked you didn't nominate your poor brother. No, I could No, because Anthony might have enemies. Stephanie has no enemies. So we're going to put Stephanie out there 40 days after, if she's still okay, we're going to take whatever you send out in the freezer. Also, please send pictures of your kitchen. We want to make sure it's nice and clean. <laughs> We want our we want our listeners. We want everybody to feel like a great big Italian American. If you have something right. that you say you're the best, please tell us you make the best blank. We would like to know. So yeah, we do want to hand out titles. Titles are important to our people. Yes, yes, you, know. you gotta have one. And so we we really envision this being a real neighborhood in in every sense of the word. So we want you to interact with us. Our topics uh, every week, every episode. Our topics are going to be decided by you. So we're gonna ask you to join us on our social media. You can find us on Twitter and Instagram at Italian Power HR and uh, look for our polls every week. We'll, we'll find a nice routine and you decide what it is we talk about and send us your questions. So, so like the, the Roman, where they, was the Coliseum where they said thumbs, thumbs up, up, thumbs up, thumbs down. No, no, we, we, we can't, our U.S. can't handle thumbs up, thumbs down. If you hate us, don't tell us. But if and you if love you us. if you hate us, we'll just go on and change your vote anyway. That's true. We'll, we'll just manipulate the results manipulate if you really don't results. like us. And that's truly Italian. You know, it's I no- still can't believe I didn't get the cookies. Thank you. Well, on that note, so I think... Rain check. Let me yeah, thank... Yeah, sure. Let me ben thank... Here, done that. Are you going to really bring the cookies around? Um, you're going to come over. Uh, we're going to have cookies. We're going to have dinner. We're going to have a lot of dinners. Yeah. And that's another uh, format That'll for this. another episode. Yeah. <laughs> You're going to have a lot of episodes edited of, of us eating and cooking together. Mm-hmm. And uh, we hope that this grows into something that you love and you that are out there and have been loyal listeners of the fantastic Italian-American podcast. We hope you join us as well uh, as a sister show. And for those of you that are out there that have not heard the Italian-American podcast, go back, listen to the archives. There's amazing stuff in there. I've listened to every episode and I've been an early a uh, fan and uh, devotee of Dolores and Anthony and their great work, and uh, welcome to the neighborhood. Thanks, guys. You got, welcome to you guys. We are. I'm going to speak on um, behalf of Anthony and I, and we are really excited about this. I mean, this you guys coming on board and us doing a new show and this growing is really a testament to you know how far it's come, and we put a lot of hard work into this, and it's just really rewarding to see it growing. And I think your show is going to be. Amazing. Well, we've got a lot of, uh, we've got a great example to live up to in you guys, and we're really happy to be part of the family. Just don't forget the cookies. <laughs> so I hope you enjoyed our first Italian American Power Hour. You'll be getting one of those a month from now on. And like I said, we'd love to hear the feedback. You can email me, Anthony, at ItalianAmericanExperience.com. Feedback, topics, thoughts, questions, send them our way. What I'd like to do now is I'm going to kick it over to Dolores. She's going to read a couple of the great reviews that we've been getting on iTunes. We really appreciate the iTunes reviews. Keep them coming. They really not only keep us going, but they also help the show to be found by more Italian Americans because iTunes will share it more, the more reviews that we have. And then uh, Dolores will take us out. Dolores? This is so much fun. We haven't done this in a long time, unfortunately. So we have some catching up to do. Of course, we can't read every single one of the new reviews we've gotten because there is a lot of them. Yay. But we can start and we'll just make it a point to keep reading them in the episodes to come. So here's one from S-M-D-E-T-T-O-N-84, a beautiful five-star review titled More Than a Podcast. In just over a year, the Italian-American podcast has come to mean so much to me. I have laughed, I have cried, and on countless occasions, I've shaken my head in agreement over some anecdote that perfectly describes my Italian mother. Through this podcast, I have felt the love and sorrows that rested in my ancestors' hearts. While every family is different, I can't help but let the emotion and love that flows from the orators of this podcast connect me to the events and legacy that was and is my family. Wow. That's beautiful. Thank you. That's got goosebumps. Yep. Here's another one from Nardonia. Terrific. Five stars. Easily my favorite podcast. Now that we're into our second, third, and fourth generations, it seems harder and harder to connect with one another. I really enjoy listening and celebrating our heritage and feeling a sense of community. Keep up the good work. 
That's why we do it, right, Amp? Yeah, that's great. That's awesome. Thank you so much for those reviews. Please keep them coming. Like I said, we do read them and they do help us to keep going and keep doing the show and keep getting new topics and new guests. So I'm going to read one more, Ant. Go ahead, do it. (laughs) I'm on a roll now. This is from Jonathan Zadza, Italian Fascination, five stars. Wishing I had found this amazing podcast sooner. I need to go back and listen to all the episodes. (laughs) Thank you so much for all the hard work. I hope to further build bridges between America and Italy to highlight all the wonderful things the culture and people have to offer. God bless. That's great. Okay, I'll save the rest for next show. Yeah, no, that's amazing. They they do. They're so just they take the time to write like that. We appreciate that. All right. So now Dolores Toronto, take us out. <laughs> when am I going to stop laughing? I got pra- to keep practicing that. <laughs> Okay, Amici, you can find us on social media. We're on Instagram at Italian American. We're on Twitter at Ital American. And we're on Facebook at Italian American Podcast. Arrivederci. 